Hi and welcome to Talking Peace, the podcast for Northern Ireland Alternatives. You're joining us today on the very first episode of our brand new second season. And I just want to take the time here to thank everyone who listened in to the first 10 episodes. Uh, We hope you enjoyed the stories that you heard and the people that the podcast actually introduced you to. Today's episode is a very special one. We are going to be launching a brand new project called STARS. And STARS stands for Striving Towards a Restorative Society. It's funded through uh, Communities in Transitions initiative along with Cooperation Ireland and the Northern Ireland Executive Office. And it finds us in partnership with another community restorative justice agency, CRJI. So we have some of those guys with us today and they're going to introduce themselves they're going to tell us a bit about the project tell us a bit about the background and so on so let's get into it all right everyone you're really welcome on the podcast today it would be great if we could just go around the room and everybody uh introduce themselves and tells a bit about the role and i'm harry mcguire i'm the director of crji community restorative justice ireland and uh, we are the lead body for the project uh, in partnership with nia Hi, I'm Debbie Waters and I'm the director of Northern Ireland Alternatives, one of the partners in the STARS project. Hiya, my name is Andrea McLaughlin and I am the STARS project coordinator with CRJI. Hiya, I'm Karen Maitland and I'm the project lead for Northern Ireland Alternatives, part of STARS project. Hello, my name is Lucy Geddes. I'm the project manager for the Communities in Transition project with Cooperation Ireland. Hello, my name is uh, Mark Brown. I work for the Executive Office, where I have responsibility, among other things, for the Communities in in Transition uh, programme. This is part of the wider Executive Action Plan on tackling paramilitarism, uh, criminality and organised crime. It's a significant project. Um, It ranges across eight areas that are most affected by coercive control and problems with criminality and organised crime. and um, it is a significant community-based programme. Thanks very much, guys, for the introduction, sir. Mark, it would be good for us to start with you. Could you give us a wee bit more background about the Communities and Transitions programme and how you went about deciding where to distribute the funding? Yes, certainly. The, the Executive Action Plan has a whole range of actions and it's some, some 38. But in considering how to take forward the Communities in Transition project, uh, the view was taken that really, in order to have an effect, it was important to focus on a smaller number of areas. The other projects all range right across Northern Ireland. So to have that, 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 that focus then, we wanted to concentrate on a smaller number of areas. And these were identified through a range of um, indicators, including socioeconomic indicators and uh, other, other in, in, in indicators from uh, police information databases and other uh, aspects of deprivation and so forth. And the areas that we identified were... Uh, Brandywell and Craigan in Derry, Lantonderry, uh, Carrick, Ferguson, Larne, uh, Kilcooley and Rathgill in North Down, uh, Kilwilkie and Drumgask in Lurgan and Craigan, uh, West Belfast, Shankill, uh, New Lodge and Ardoyne in North Belfast, and the Mount and Ballymacarrot in East Belfast. And having identified those areas, there was then a quite intensive process of engagement with the community to uh, work with them to identify what they felt were, the, were the, the key concerns and issues that they had in their community in order to ensure that we were addressing what issues that were live and real 
with the local community. Uh, having uh, produced a report on that, we then worked with the community to uh, identify potential uh, solutions or approaches to addressing those issues. And it was from that process of community engagement that, that the various projects emerged. And what did that actual community engagement look like? What, what kind of format did it take? Well, it, it, it took a range of formats. We, 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 we met with a range of stakeholder groups, but we also had, had broader and uh, open public meetings across a range of areas. And uh, we had them on a number of occasions uh, in order to make sure that we were, we were getting uh, the voice not just of those who were involved in, in groups, but the, the people themselves who lived in their communities. And what, what kind of response did that, that get from the communities that you had these engagements in? Well, I think it's fair to say that, that it, had, it had a mixed response. In some areas, we had a good response. In other areas, it took a little bit of a while to get the message out and to make the sort of contacts to enable us to get uh, a good response from a, a wide range of people in the community. So we had to, we had to work at it, um, but I think we did get good engagement in, in, in the end and that the, the reports that came out were reflective of uh, the, the range of views in communities. Yeah, so anybody kind of engaging with the programmes potentially going to see some of the discussion base that, that they had maybe included within some of the, the ideas and things that have been put forward in the, the project? Well, absolutely, because part of what, what we did after we had done the initial engagement to identify need and then come forward with working with the community with the projects, we then went back to them and said, here are the list of projects that we're going to take forward. Does this uh, uh, accord with your understanding of what you wanted to have in these areas. So there was a feedback loop before we actually went out and then procured the projects and put the projects on the ground. Okay, and what's that looking like right now? And obviously we've had COVID and all sorts of things happening to us. Um, what's it looking like on the ground at the moment? Well, I think we've done tremendously well. Uh, that, that, that first phase of community engagement necessarily does take uh, a fair bit of time to get it right. And uh, I think our part of the programme was the one that actually did that in most depth. Um, and I know some people got a bit frustrated by the amount of time it took, but that was important to provide the strong roots and to make sure that we have projects that genuinely reflected what community wanted. So we now have 30 projects that are out on the ground. They cover a range of themes, which include restorative practice, community development, health and well-being, uh, arts and culture, and community safety. So those projects are out, they're on the ground, and they're delivering at the minute. And what are your expectations from the projects? What is it you're hoping to, to see come out of them? Well, the overall aim of uh, Communities in Transition in particular is to um, provide uh, uh, communities where people who live in them feel safe, where they feel that they are empowered to articulate what it is that they want in their community and that they are supported in actually helping to deliver that. So this is really about community empowerment and, and freeing people in, in community from any any form of coercive control, enabling them to uh, say what they want and to have a role in, in, in delivering services. Hi Mark, it definitely seems like from my perspective that Communities in Transition is trying to build more cohesive communities through um, intensive collaboration. Well, that's absolutely right. I mean, this is something we are doing with communities. We're not doing to communities, and that, that has been rooted in, in, in our approach the whole way through. So where there are strong commu- uh, community organisations there and good practice, we want to build on that. Uh, wh- where the infrastructure is less strong, we want to try and build the capacity and work with those groups to try and help help, help them to be able to deliver uh, you know, a wider range of services. And we also want to build better relationships and connections between groups and between the voluntary uh, and community sector and the statutory sector, so we have a better impact for people who live in the community. 
That's great, Mark. Thank you. We'll come back to you a wee bit later on. I just want to bring um, Lucy into the conversation. Um, Lucy, Mark's obviously went through a number of specifics in regards to how the project's going to work, etc. And what I would like to maybe hear from you is your perspective on what you think uh, the Communities in Transitions project is going to achieve. Really what we're, we're hoping Communities in Transition will do is get more people involved in trying to address those issues that are exploited um, by organised crime gangs and palm orchard gangs, upskill people within the community to be able to, to do their job better and to be more effective when they are trying to tackle these issues and to build networks and connections within communities, between communities, um, with communities and statutory agencies. So really there's a, there's a groundswell of, of action um, to build on the positive things that are happening in communities that will kind of edge out, the, um, edge out those criminal elements sideways. So we're not about tackling palmitism head on or being really confrontational. It's about looking at those positive elements within communities seeing how can we actually build on and grow those positive elements and really steer people, provide a positive pathway towards creating a, a safer and more confident community. So what is it you're actually expecting to see from organisations that you've provided funding for? Really what we want to see is more people getting involved and more people being given the skills that they need to achieve um, or make a difference to those issues that are important to them. That's why the um, really the motivation behind funding the STARS project came out of that. Um, we really recognise with the research that we did around this, the, the real value that restorative approaches can have in terms of providing, um, it, it's really useful tools that could be applied across a whole range of sectors in, in the community, whether that's in, in youth work, in housing, in family support that those restorative practices or uh, approaches can be really helpful in in actually rebuilding relationships or um, enabling people to continue to access services um, so one of the examples i um, kept using in terms of how restorative approaches could potentially be useful say in youth work is we kept hearing stories of um, youngsters who had maybe there'd been an incident in the youth club and for some reason they'd been barred from the, the, the youth club that then meant they were out in the streets they came to the attention of criminal gangs and, and that then was a, a sort of downward spiral in their life well if restorative approaches were used within that youth club there's no reason why actually they couldn't be you know back in the youth club next week mm -hmm. and that whole cycle um, avoided and really that can be replicated right across a range of, of sectors within um, the the work that, that goes on in communities because really at the core of it so much is about relationships and that's where restorative approaches really have um, their, their value. So whenever we were looking at well, what could we do um, around building capacity, restorative practice and, and expanding the use of restorative practice beyond the kind of traditional justice sectors and looking at its youth right or its use right across the, the breadth of, of community work. It was a really obvious no-brainer in, in terms of the projects we wanted to take forward. 
That's great, Lucy. Thanks. That seems like a really good place for us to bring in the organisations that are being tasked with uh, bringing about those uh, achievements you're talking about, Lucy. So I'm going to turn my attention here to Harry and Debbie. And maybe it would be good, Harry, if we start with you, if you could give us a wee bit of background as to how the two organisations ended up in this area of restorative practice. Well, I suppose uh, both organisations are, are rooted in, in working class communities. I think that's uh, that's important to underline, and we developed uh, as a byproduct of the peace process. We initially um, began our, our our projects with a view to making interventions around uh, punishment violence, and, and punishment violence is not a, a term we like using. We we very much see it as a, a term which sort of implies guilt on people, uh, particularly our young people. But for those those that uh, that are listening, that's that's a term that probably resonates uh, most. But we, we we began work on trying to uh, change what was happening uh, within our communities, our respective communities, in relation to all of that. Uh, and over a I think a, a seven year period, collectively we made six hundred positive interventions around that uh, issue. It was a huge boost uh, to the peace process. And then, of course, as we were developing uh, restorative justice and restorative justice techniques and practices, we, we then were, were, were brought into like a wider uh, role within our communities in terms of managing disputes, uh, dispute resolution, but all done through the framework uh, and the value process of restorative justice. Um, yeah, so just to follow on from Harry, I think it's important to say that um, everything that we do organisationally is underpinned by restorative practices and restorative principles. We're both um, about 22 years old, so as organisations we've been around for quite a while. We have been the leading organisations in restorative practice in this um, post-conflict society and we've played a key role and helping to empower and build the capacity of our communities. Um, we have diversified over the years, as Harry has said, and we've engaged in different areas of work. So both organisations currently are doing restorative practice in schools. Um, we work very closely with the police and do restorative practice with them. We work with social services and other agencies. So for us, it's just not about justice. For us, it's also about what does restorative interventions look like right across society. And I suppose traditionally, um, those kind of interventions have come from the top down. What we're very proud of organisationally is that we've remained very grassroots. We're very present in socially disadvantaged communities. During the COVID-19 pandemic, both organisations were leading in terms of community response plans. So we really want to empower ordinary people on the ground to be part of peace building, to be part of conflict resolution, and to be active, positive citizens within their communities. So it's been a real pleasure to work alongside Community Restorative Justice Ireland over the years, and it's a real pleasure to be in this new project with them, which I think is going to be a game changer in terms of rolling restorative practice out across other socially disadvantaged communities. 
That's great, thanks. So the name of the project that you are working on in Communities and Transitions is called STARS, and I know that stands for Striving Towards a Restorative Society. What does a restorative society look like to you? Well, I think uh, uh, that's a very that's a big question, Claire, uh, and we could be here for for days putting the, the various parts of the jigsaw together. But a restorative society for me is a society which uh, embraces diversity, cherishes diversity. It's a society which has started started to move towards becoming at ease with itself, uh, and understands that in the in the journey of life where we give our, our, our kids the tools to, to, to help them and support them through that life. We also give them social skills. We give them communication skills. We give them values and principles which help them develop, resolve issues, build relationships, respect each other, uh, and spread that out so that it becomes an ethos. I, I remember working in a school and uh, they had a they had a, a slogan uh, on the wall that said, uh, "Ethos is a bit like passive smoking; it uh, it impacts on everybody that comes into contact with it." And I think anybody who has come into contact with the restorative view of the world, that lens that we talk about, uh, is is changed by it. It opens up a different avenue in terms of how we see each other and how we value each other. Yeah, I mean, I, Glenn, I would echo that. And for me, the importance of restorative practice in a post-conflict situation is because what we did well here in socially disadvantaged communities, we did violence really well. We excelled at violence. So what we needed to relearn as communities or learn um, was how not to do violence well and how to do peace well. And I think restorative practices come into that space and restorative practices basically saying... um, we need healing in this context and we need a philosophy and a set of principles that helps us to heal broken relationships. So we're using restorative practice at a very human level between victims and offenders. We're using it in families um, to help um, families in crisis have difficult situations. But you know what? We're also using it as at a systemic and a strategic level. So we're using it to heal broken relationships between the police and communities. We're using it um, to heal relationships between other statutory agencies and to say to them, listen, you need to understand where this community has come from. Um, some of the lessons it's learned and you need to understand where it needs to go. So restorative practice in in this jurisdiction I think is really quite exciting because it's not a one-off intervention between a victim and an offender. Really restorative principles are saying we're going to build peace with you. We're going to heal relationships. We're going to understand that conflict damages relationships damages people and to make things right and to bring healing you need to look at things through a human lens and how do you think the stars project is going to enhance 
the work of both organizations? I think uh, we, we talk about the, the growth of restorative uh, justice or restorative practice. If, if I see it really sort of starting to break out of, of the communities that we have been working in, I think when we see that, that, that for me would be, be one thing that, that would say to me, we are, we are really taking sort of giant steps down the, the, the path of developing restorative societies. Um, I would agree with that. For me, the exciting thing about STARS is that um, we're saying as organisations, we don't own this and we don't want to own it. Restorative practice doesn't belong to individual organisations. Actually, you as a volunteer or you as a staff member in your non-restorative organisation can start to do this work and grow it in the very context where you are. So for me, it's about that spread, it's about that ripple effect, and it's about people taking ownership and understanding. If I use this approach, it can actually transform relationships in my context. The other thing for me, though, Glenn, that would be a real success story is if statutory agencies didn't just pay lip service to restorative practice, if statutory agencies actually began to think, we love this and this is going to change our policy, our practices and how we engage with community. So it's not enough just to say we want to work restoratively. Restorative practice should shape everything that you do within your organization so if police began to work that way if they began to say um look we love restorative practice and rather than referring a young person to a statutory agency we'd love to keep that within community Let's work collectively. Let's wrap ourselves around this young person as a community and let's um, begin to help them become part of who we are. They learn from us and we learn from them. So for me, it is really that... um, I hate to use the word mainstream because often when you bring something into the mainstream, it becomes quite blah, you know, and we don't want this to be blah. We don't don't want it to be banal. We want it always to be cutting edge, but we want everyone to own it. So it doesn't belong to CRJ and it doesn't belong to alternatives, but restorative practice becomes widely embedded within communities. Yeah, I think that that that, that sums sums up uh, really what the, the benefits of this this project can be, and just just to take the opportunity because we have a, a number of members of staff here, uh, and I've been watching very carefully, or not very carefully, but I'm, I'm watching the project being rolled out, and I can see a diversity in terms of who is accessing the training and the knowledge that I have never witnessed before. It has really gone into, into areas that, in some respects, may have been closed to us, uh, and the staff are opening those doors, so it's, it's fantastic, it's great to see it, and I think, I think long-term, uh, the communities in which it's happening will, will really benefit from it.
Yeah, Harry, I I think you're right about that. I think we've a window of opportunity here to take good risks. And if restorative practice doesn't take the risks, no one else will. So some people may think, oh, we don't want that person doing restorative practice. Actually, let's give them the tools. Let's mentor them. Let's teach them. And let's see if that will make a difference in their context. Because peace building and transition is about taking the risk on people that normally no one else would take the risk on. I think that comes back to some of the core values of restorative practice anyway, that's saying that we're not defined by the sum of our deeds. We have capacity to change, but if no one gives us that opportunity to change, no one's going to see that. No one's going to recognize that we have made a difference in our lives, especially if we have made some wrong choices in our lives. So, Guys, thanks very much for giving us that context for the, the STARS project. I'm just going to move on and talk to a couple of the other staff members here and ask them a few questions and think about practically how the program is going to be implemented um, in our communities. All right, so we're just going to move on and uh, bring in some of the other members of the team here. Andre, what we'll do is we'll start with you and uh, maybe you could tell us... Um, a wee bit about what actually is STARS, what's it all about? Okay, so the project is STARS and it's striving to achieve a restorative society. Uh, we actually gave it that name because the tender itself was called Expanding Restorative Practices in Non-Justice Settings Across Eight, reg or across eight Regional Areas. So um, we just thought that was a lot more accessible and easy for people to understand because really that epitomises the programme and it's what it's actually about. Um, and really what we're hoping to do through this programme is keep give people an understanding of restorative practices so that people have an awareness of restorative justice and knowledge about what that actually means um, and ways that they can actually implement that into their lives. So we're mainly doing this through training and a mentoring programme and we're offering it out to community workers, residents in each of the eight areas. Tell me a wee bit more about the, the training side of it. What does that actually look like? So, um, Glenn, the training is everyone... So, in each area, all participants complete introductory, introductory training. And that's um, an OCN into uh, community restorative justice. And that basically covers, so for people that maybe don't have any understanding or little understanding, it gives everyone the basic knowledge of what we're even talking about whenever we're talking about restorative justice and restorative practices. It talks about the key values, the main principles. Um, it talks through what it actually entails, what the purpose of it is, what the limitations are, um, the advantages and disadvantages of using that type of support. Uh, approach just so that everyone as they're going on have that basic understanding before we go on to do further training and then each participant will be allocated or assigned a mentor and that mentor will support them to complete a restorative practices personal development plan and in that we look at further training so each organization crji and northern ireland alternatives will have a menu of training so we have ocn restorative skills we've got choices and consequences um, we've got restorative street works that looks at all the different um, maybe learning that people could um, use that might be specific to their roles in the community 
But also on top of that, we're not all about accredited training. So we're really hoping to, the beauty of this project is that it's so flexible and we're hoping that people will be able to avail of workshops and experiential learning through the STARS project. Talk to me a wee bit about the scope of the project. You know, what kind of scale are we talking about here? So in each area, we're looking at 30 participants. So um, we're looking at 120 participants engaging in this through both organisations, so 240 people altogether. So I'm just going to switch my attention here to um, Karen. Can you give me a wee bit of an idea as to how this will look on the ground in terms of each locality? I know you're just talking about it working in eight areas, but what, what's that practically going to look like? So for Northern Ireland Alternatives, then, that we're working within four of those eight areas, um, East Belfast, Lauren and Carrick, um, Bangor, specifically Kilcooley and Rathgill, and Shankle, which is where I'm sitting today, um, both lower and upper Shankle, including the Woodfield. So for us, I mean, certainly, as, as everybody has said, Harry, Debbie and Andrea have, have highlighted, there really is an appetite for this. When, when we're out there on the streets, people want to see things being done differently. Pe- people don't want to go back to the dark days that we had. Um, and, and it's very much a case of, well, OK, so what can we do differently? And STARS is a real opportunity for people to actually become empowered and be masters of, the, of their own, I suppose, resolutions, um, because it is very much grassroots. This is not about both organisations going in and dictating and saying, you must do this. This is about asking communities, how can we make this a safer place to live? How can we help you do that? And and um, and, and what skills do you need? And STARS is, is very much that programme that's going to offer the training to, to equip them to do that. And obviously you're working with groups already. Um, how has that been going down so far? I mean, maybe you both can answer that question. If you want to start up at house, how, how's the initial kind of response to some of the training been? I mean, in terms of some of the training that's been delivered, there's been an absolutely fantastic response. And I have to say, I mean, I think the parameters initially, we talked about sort of a, a minimum or a maximum of five participants from a minimum of six organisations. And both both um, alternatives and CRJ have more than exceeded that. I mean, I think on the last count, we were working with, with, with well over 53, 54 organisations across our four areas. You know, the, the, the audience that that is going to touch and, 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 and have an effect on is absolutely incredible. Yeah, I mean, I've just been thrilled to bits uh, in terms of even some of the feedback that we've got, got from groups to do it. Um, and like Harry touched on earlier, the wide range of groups that we have involved in this as well. So we have... Um, teachers, educational welfare officers, we've got classroom assistants, we have um, community workers, youth workers, outreach workers, we've got um, PSNI members from the Health and Social Care Trust. You know, it's just such a breadth of, of people and it's really good because then we can look at how it applies in each one of those different sectors or how it could be actually implemented in their role as well where applicable. So it's been really positive and a few people have came back and said that it's actually challenged a lot of their perceptions maybe around restorative justice and what even restorative practices was about. And the language of restorative justice and restorative practices isn't always easily digestible for people or it seems like something that's um, completely out of reach uh, whenever it's not. Yeah, we, I was delivering a session with uh, one of the mentors today with one of the, the groups and what was really evident to me in terms of the training session that we were delivering 
was the questioning that was going on inside the minds of the participants. They were really starting to reflect on their own values and their own approach to how they would like things to be dealt with in their communities. And it was really interesting to hear youth workers who would advocate for like the unconditional positive regard struggle with the concept of restorative practice in regards to how they would want something like a crime dealt with and how they there was a paradox for them in terms of well if it was done to me i'd like something done about it however if it was a young person i was working with then i would want something to be done differently and i think that by introducing that into the conversation and into the kind of the thought life and the practice of the the waiter you know community and groups that are working in the areas that the project's focusing on that can only have a positive impact right across how those organizations work i think you're right glenn because i mean if we look at how things have been done in the past if that worked we wouldn't we wouldn't have the levels of antisocial behavior we wouldn't have the levels of criminal activity and we wouldn't have overcrowded prisons you know restorative justice and and, and working with restorative practice gives people a real opportunity to, to actually do things differently and say we want our communities to be a safer place we want our children to grow up and not know the the the, the adversities and 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 troubles that we have that we have had in the past yeah Karen, i think we could all get behind that statement we definitely do want to move on and uh, not have our younger generations experience what we did um and I definitely think that the, the STARS project has a role to play in helping communities uh, strive towards uh, achieving that reality. I just want to give the last word here to Mark. And, you know, Mark, you've uh, given your perspective from the, the, the government point of view. But I'm just wondering, is there something personally that you'd like to see come from the project? What I would love to see coming out of, out of, out of it is, is strong and confident communities. Now, that can sound a little bit nebulous. But you know, when when you have a range of pe- people from different walks of life in the community, um, who are who are clearly setting out what the community wants and are uh, helping to uh, deliver uh, services and deliver programs in in the community, and we have the community uh, knocking our door down with ideas as to what they want, that to me would be success. Thanks very much, Mark, and thanks very much to everyone for taking part in the episode today. And if you do want any more information about the STARS project, then the information is in our program blurb. Um, Please feel free to contact either Northern Ireland Alternatives or CRGI via their websites or their Facebook and Twitter feeds. And if you are new to the podcast and would like to hear more, then please check out our previous episodes in Season 1. You can get us on all the usual places. You can get us on our SoundCloud page, which is soundcloud.com forward slash talking piece. If you use Apple Podcasts, you can get us on there. You can also get us on Spotify, and you can always get us on TuneIn Radio as well. Now, make sure you join us for the next episode. It's going to be another cracker. Um, We are joined in our next episode by none other than Howard Zur. And if you have any connection with the restorative justice field, Howard's name will most likely be well known to you. Howard wrote um, the best-selling book, 
Changing Lenses and he also wrote The Little Book of Restorative Justice and he is going to be on with us talking about his experience in restorative justice over the past 20 odd years or so. So please check that out, it's going to be a great episode. So that's the end of episode one on our brand new second season. We hope you've enjoyed it and we look forward to welcoming you on to more episodes. And until then, take care and look after yourselves. Thank you.